Welcome to the 11th episode of the Sand Dune podcast. Uh, Hans and Frank are here and we are going to change it up this week and provide some transparency on the business of Santa Claus. Good evening, Frank. It's uh, December 23rd, day before Christmas Eve. How are you? It's, uh, yeah, it's Christmas Eve Eve. I'm trying to do well. I got a lot of Christmas errands to mop up around here. But I am looking forward to our exploration of Santa's business model versus some of the gargantuan logistics operations that have cropped up over the last few years, namely Amazon and some of the others. I think we want to answer a bunch of questions about this, but one being, will Amazon eventually overtake Santa for title of logistics king? Santa Claus only works one day a year, right? That's not that much work, is it? So yeah, it actually, I think, depends on the magnitude of the numbers we're talking about in one night. Uh, There are estimates on the low end that there's 500 million kids that Santa will visit in his travels around the world in 24 hours. Um, And the high end of that goes up to a billion, one and a half billion. And it's actually pretty hard to know if you try to do the demographics on everybody who, you know, is expecting Santa to leave them something. But that works out to a delivery rate of something like 6,000 endpoints per second. And I think creating a logistics organization that can handle something of that magnitude is might be a year-long undertaking. Because right now, today, if we take Amazon that delivers something about 4 billion packages a year um, with their own, 4 billion packages with their own logistics and delivery services, which is, I think, 75% of their packages. That's only about 133 packages a second. So that's 2% of what Santa does in one night. So I think there's more at work here than just having a hugely scaled organization. Do you think it has anything to do with location? It very well could. There's got to be a number of unfair advantages that Santa has. Well, I was just thinking about location and this kind of got me interested. I mean, it's pretty easy to know where the North Pole is, right? That's at 90 degrees north, zero degrees west or east, or, you know, the North Pole. But the funny thing about that is, as I was doing a little bit of research on this, there's actually three North Poles. Did you know that? I thought there were only two, but... Well, there's the one we would think of as the geographic North Pole, which I'm going to presume where Santa is. Or there's what we often know as the magnetic North Pole, because the two aren't aligned properly. But as I was doing this research, there apparently is also a geomagnetic pole. that uh, That's the North geomagnetic pole in this case. And I was like, what the heck is the difference? Well, it turns out that if you were to draw a line from the point where the magnetic North Pole is to the end of the where the South magnetic pole is, it actually doesn't go through the center of Earth. It goes through like slightly off. And so the North geomagnetic pole is the theoretical best point on which a line drawn through the center of the Earth would match the current magnetic field of Earth. So it's pretty ridiculous, right? Interesting. (laughs) All right. So, however, I think there's more of a disagreement because when I Google... North Pole where Santa, uh, it actually puts him into Northern Greenland. Now, why? maybe that's where he is, um, but that's at least 783 miles away from the actual North Pole. So it's 
you know, better because it's on actual physical land. Theoretically, you know, there could be buildings there versus the, the true North Pole where there's basically just ice. But uh, there finally also is a North Pole, Alaska, which is a town that is, I think, about 1,700 miles away from the North Pole. But it's called the North Pole. Interesting. Have you been to the North Pole? <laughs> All I know is that it's cold and there's no actual land under, well, under geographic North Pole. Yeah, I mean, I guess there are a few lucky people who have actually flown over the North Pole. Uh, some flights from Asia that go to the Middle East cross over it. Um, the occasional flight to Europe might get fairly close. Uh, but anyway, I played around with Great Circle Mapper, and they are a website where you can tell distances from one point of Earth to the other. And it's funny because they have an identifier for the North Pole. It is B-I-N-P, just like you might have K. JFK as an airport code. This one is BINP and it's Santa Claus International Airport. Yeah, that's great. Now, as we were looking at this whole logistics thing and trying to bring some more transparency to Santa's business as best as we can, I started thinking about, well, is the North Pole a good place to base your logistics operation? And one of the stories I've seen is that Anchorage, Alaska, is a big hub for airplane flights from Asia to Europe or Asia to the United States, particularly now that Russia has opened its airspace after the fall of the Soviet Union. But Alaska still is a really great point for an airline who's shipping cargo to go from Japan, China, Singapore to New York, California, Texas, right? So I thought, okay, well, let's take a look at this. Is Anchorage the best place from which to do your logistics operations? So I put in a bunch of cities like Anchorage to JFK, Anchorage to San Francisco. I put in Sydney and Frankfurt and Lima, uh, I think London and Madrid and Johannesburg. And I picked a bunch of cities all over the world where Santa Claus would theoretically want to deliver. And it added up the distances between uh, Anchorage or the North Pole and figured it out. And it turns out that now, actually, let me let you, let me ask you, do you think the North Pole would be a better place to base your logistics from a pure distance standpoint, Anchorage, Alaska, or Seattle, where obviously Amazon is? I'm not sure. I, I'm, I mean, it sounds like Anchorage is not a bad choice. Yeah. Now, obviously I didn't do it on a percentage basis, but Turns out the North Pole is actually better than either one of Anchorage or Seattle. So I think from a pure standpoint of is Santa based in the right location, uh, theoretically he is, particularly as people might ask, well, why isn't it the South Pole, right? Because it'd be, you know, that, well, 87% of the human population lives in the Northern Hemisphere. So if you think about that, like the average distance from the North Pole to get to either Europe or the United States is about 3,000 ish miles. And that means if you're basing your operation at the North Pole, it's a perfectly good place to uh, launch your launch your flights from. Interesting. So it makes perfect sense that he's based in the North Pole and has had this knowledge, I guess, kept this knowledge, this unfair advantage to himself and his operation for a very long time. And that actually also kind of has a small effect on the numbers per second, right? I don't, I'm not sure anyone's gone and figured out if you go from west to east, and if you go from north to south, um, there are obviously concentrations of endpoints to deliver to. 
And then there are some areas where there's just nothing going on. So the actual number per second might be lower, right? But still nowhere near as low as let's say Amazon does today. So it's still a, a, just a spectacularly high number. Yeah. Now, if you wanted to recreate, so to speak, Santa's operation with human-based technology, I thought about this other thing is like, well, one big question and that people might ask is, well, does Santa take all the presents onto the sleigh and then take kind of a zigzaggy route around Earth, which is, I think, what the Santa tracker suggests he's doing? Or does he have to keep going back to the North Pole? Because if he's basically taking everything on board on one trip and then returns back to the North Pole, well, then it doesn't almost matter where he's based. In fact, it'd be better if he was based as close as possible to the starting point of where he's going to start dropping off presents. But if he goes back on round trips, which is, I think, something that one might do if one wanted to recreate the, the operation, then here's the interesting bit. If you were to load a big airliner, like take a Airbus A380, right? It can fly about 8,000 miles with passengers on board. Well, if the average distance is about 3,000, well, you could take off from the North Pole, fly to either the US or Europe, maybe not land. You, you don't even have to land, right? You just have to like dump the presents out somehow. <laughs> and then you could fly back to the North Pole without refueling. So I think it's doable, uh, except for those flights that have to maybe go to Australia or Johannesburg or so, then you have to land with fuel. But given that you, the majority of your population is in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, you could potentially recreate this with a massive fleet of Airbus A380s, which I think would work out okay because it's a big plane with a lot of cargo capacity, but probably a lot of toys, toys don't weigh that much. So I think, it, I think it would be, I think it could work. I don't know how many planes we'd need, but uh, certainly Senna has, uh, has some interesting technology himself. Yeah, that's true. And I, I'd love to know how many planes he'd need, but we'd also need to know how many pounds or kilograms or whatever all of this would weigh and how big it would be. I've seen a an estimate, I think uh, some newspaper in the UK did several years ago that Santa would have needed something like 500 billion pounds at the time to pay for all the toys um, that he was delivering. Uh, but obviously that doesn't give us dimensions or anything. So what other unfair advantages do you think Santa has? Well, I was speaking of money. One of them is, if you listen to all the stories, the, he has a great deal of, I guess you would call, uncompensated labor at his disposal. He's got reindeer. He's got elves who number in the tens of thousands per Santa tracker uh, as of last year. So that's a giant workforce. Wait, aren't these called uh, warehouse employees in some other businesses? Yes. And I'm actually trying to figure out exactly just how many they have in these other businesses. Now, if you think about this for a second, if Santa's making all the toys, well, then that's one thing. But if Santa's getting the toys from your typical manufacturing loop, where a lot of our toys get made in Southeast Asia or so, uh, I think, once again, the North Pole is a perfect location because you can bring all your toys from Asia on up, uh, store them in the various warehouses throughout the year, and then deliver them to other places. And the only backtracking that you're doing is for the kids in Asia or maybe the kids in India or in Australia. But for the most part, you're, you're kind of going towards the direction of where uh, most of the Santa believers actually are. So I think that that's the case. But Okay, so the elves are the warehouse employees or are they making them? I think they're assembling them. 
I, I think they're pulling, mm-hmm. uh, I think it, I think it's what Apple used to do. What a lot of companies used to do is they used to get all of the components, you know, here and then assembled the components. And I, I think almost any company would kill to have this particular labor force because as far as we can tell, if they're doing the assembly, obviously they can space out the build throughout the year without adversely impacting supply chains for the rest of us, right? Because I'm assuming Santa kind of gets in there first in the list. Also, that once these things are assembled, they appear to be honored um, by their nominal manufacturers for warranties and whatnot. <laughs> so it's obviously a super highly skilled workforce. That's right. Although I, I start to think that that ties into the next piece, unless we want to go into the, the labor relations standpoint of this Uh but to me, it's, I think like, okay, if Santa's building stuff, well, does he know at the beginning of the year as he's ramping up operations after his short, maybe one or two week vacation, what the kids actually want? Do you, do you think he's going like, well, the kids are going to want that Xbox next year. So I'm going to start making some. That's a hard one. And if I had to put on my conspiracy cap for a moment, I'm Please thinking do. maybe he's setting the trends. Oh. At the beginning of the year, yeah, which becomes nice. easier with 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 social media, right? He's only got to you know put a few influencer posts out there and start getting people talking about stuff he knows he can make. Huh? Or he just controls the children's television system, and that probably make has a big impact too. Oh yeah, he was probably always a big player and big cereal and you know big toy and big board game. And I mean, obviously, he had to be plugged into the whole ecosystem. Right. And Sesame Street, obviously, is, you know, made by Santa Claus, right? Uh, I'm not sure if it's made by it. I'm sure he's probably a big, you know, board member at CTW. I mean, it's expensive to build puppets. (laughs) All right. So he's making lists. Uh, He's building things ahead of time. So he knows. Or does he kind of run into a situation where he has like a big stack of things he's going to give the nice kids and then a bunch of I don't know. Is coal really the the modern modern thing he ought to be giving the the naughty kids? That sounds a little bit not ecological. No, I think it happens. I've seen it for sale. Um, <laughs> I mean, maybe as a gag gift, but of course, in this day and age, coal is no longer very popular. So I don't know if they get a canister of natural gas or um, a bottle of ammonia. I, I don't know. Coal is just considered to be so evil in the environment now that I. Can't imagine that um, Santa wouldn't be giving out something else awful like surplus Tamagotchis or something. Ah, oh my God. Well, uh, maybe the, the, the last uh, video game console that the kids thought last month was cool is, is the uh, consolation prize. All right. So makes his lists. Uh, he's got a massive competitive advantage um, because he clearly knows what the kids want. Uh, kids are telling Santa what they want. He doesn't even have ask, ask for permission. Uh, the parents aren't even to some extent involved in the letter writing activity because they'll do it in school. So there's some privacy violations going on and uh, some, you know, potential security issues I, I, I would see because, you know, God knows what these toys are bringing into the houses and right. so well, on. A sidebar right to this is, is the kids having direct access to Santa and vice versa is that is that the ultimate transparency or is that opacity? Mm, I don't know. It's hard to say because in, you know, in Santa's world, children have agency. Children have 
they are the customer, right? And the customer is always right. So I think it, it's interesting, whereas parents would not consider that to be particularly transparent if the communication is going out of band, being email or text or all kinds of different ways that you can you know, make contact. Hmm. Of course, then there are the parents who delegate it by buying an elf on a shelf, which as we all know, is a hyper-sophisticated surveillance device <laughs> reporting directly back to Amazon headquarters. I mean, the North Pole. <laughs> well, so one of the questions I've had for the longest time is how is this even possible? I've looked at the Santa tracker and sure, he's buzzing around and going place to place. I, I have to believe that there's like a supply line that is just like, maybe Santa is actually just going on one 24-hour mind-bending nonstop adventures going up and down chimneys and entering through various, you know, the holes in someone's house. But I have to believe that the elves are like constantly resupplying the sleigh with presents as that's happening. So I think I think my my thinking of like transport from the North Pole supplying Santa along the way has got to be happening. I think, I mean, maybe our understanding of it is it only seems like magic because the technology is sufficiently advanced, mm. right? And we're only just representing it on, you know, Google Santa Tracker and NORAD and stuff is, you know, that's just our best guess. We don't actually know exactly what's going on. What I mean, technology do you think he has that Santa Co hasn't told anybody about? I think it might be jumping the shark to say it's straight up time travel, although that would solve a lot of problems with his model. Hmm. Um, but it's almost like the opposite of, I mean, people have said, well, is he moving around the speed of light? And the thing is, if you move the speed of light, time passes slower for you and faster for the world around you. This is kind of the opposite of that, where if he could move a lot faster than everyone else, then it would make sense that he could do all of this. And we would also probably be less aware of, of his presence if he were moving at 50 times the speed, which would make him as productive as the whole of Amazon. Either way, obviously, there's no clause incorporated that's filed a patent. So the technology has to be sufficiently bespoke and like a secret recipe that he doesn't want to disclose it to the rest of the world. So it's got to be something good. This clears up all the questions I've ever had about UFOs. <laughs> all right. So we think it's possible to recreate Santa's operation, but the from a marketing standpoint, I I don't see that it's possible for anybody else to to make kids believe as much as Santa. What do you think? Oh, he's definitely got the marketing edge. I mean, he's just like the the all-time winner in terms of being popular to the kids. Uh, obviously hooked up very early on with some of the big brands, was big with Coca-Cola, was big with publications going back in time. So always seemed to be at the right place, always seemed to be at you know the right hand of the influencers at the right time. Hmm. What about business challenges? Like there's been some trends that kids have been asking for virtual gifts, things like video games you just download and then you don't even have to deal with the physical representation of things. Do we think this is a threat that's perhaps existential for Santa Claus? Well, you could deliver the codes in any format that you want. You can email them. People, kids have gotten emails from Santa. They've gotten texts. They've gotten things on cards. 
And I, I think it only matters that it feels like there's been some sort of touch, right, from the clause organization. Oh, it would be interesting, though, if there were any companies that uh, actually facilitated that. And that actually opens up the question, does Santa also have a venture wing? Does he invest in stuff? Does he buy up the companies that would help his logistics? Or is he just so far ahead, he doesn't need any help? Okay, well, now we've already assumed that he has got time travel, but he now knows what kids want. And in some ways, he actually sets the direction. Well, he basically controls the entire world economy from January 1st to December 31st. Yeah, and uh, he's probably not high on the list of people we thought control the world, but I guess that's where we've gotten to in this conversation. Well, I think that begs the question, should Santa make his operation more transparent or is secrecy working for him? I think whatever he's doing to be able to move so quickly on one night has to be so proprietary that in you know mere mortal human hands, it's got to be too dangerous. That's the only reason I can think of because so much of the rest of his operation is kind of transparent. We know he has a huge labor force of these creatures that you know seem to love working for him. We understand that he has flying reindeer. We understand, you know, about his family situation. We know where he is, right? We know how to contact him. We can get in touch. He gets back relatively quickly, usually when you reach out. So the question is, is he accurately representing his holdings in his operation? Or is he just telling us something that we can understand because the reality is just needs to be a secret? That's wild. It's extremely wild, but it's a wild time of year. Oh boy. Well, we've had a little bit of fun today and I hope you've enjoyed that. Uh, Frank, uh, I uh, wish you a Merry Christmas and hope that uh, we'll see you again in, well, maybe next week or in the new year and uh, wish all of our listeners a happy, happy new year as well. Happy new year. Merry Christmas. And may everybody find uh, peace and joy and justice and prosperity in the new year. The information provided in this podcast is not intended to constitute legal, financial, health, mixological or spiritual advice. All content is for entertainment purposes only. Listeners should contact their attorney, financial advisor, doctor, bartender, or guru respectively to obtain advice regarding particular life matters. None of this is our fault. No animals were injured in the making of this podcast. Although Frank hit Hans in the head with a typewriter, it is a story for another time. Copyright 2021.